everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. And this is part two of Death at the Spa. So make sure you go back and listen to part one because you're going to be very confused. You must listen to part one first. You Even must. Even if it's on a fast speed. You got to listen to it. Yeah. Also, we need, always need the download numbers. So please listen. Go back and listen again. There you go. This aired February 9th, 2024, season 32, episode 26, hosted by Josh Mankiewicz, who is going to join us in a little bit. Back. He's back. Guess who's back? Back on the podcast. Yay. So we are right away going into the trial. Again, this is your last warning. If you didn't listen to episode one, you're going to be so confused because we're already into trial. This is Stephen's trial. Stephen Beale's trial. Stephen Beale's trial starts four years after the explosion that killed Ildico. And the prosecution in his trial starts by reading a poem that Stephen wrote for Ildico. I didn't write it down. It was very much like, when I imagine the perfect life partner, it's you. It didn't even rhyme. I, I Give me a poem that rhymes, please. It's prose. It's prose. That Not to be confused with prose hair care, which is excellent. <laughs> Custom, yeah, don't bring, customized personalized hair care which is great that's don't good bring them pros. into this there's also bad pros which is maybe what we experienced here yeah so they say he was obsessed with ilzico and when she cheated he was furious again she was married she was cheating with you Stephen. we don't know that what do you mean question mark we don't know if it cheating okay because they had an arrangement does not mean okay. cheating right so he found texts with this San Fran guy, San Fran man, who she had visited Hungary with. Two What's months, his name? Laszlo. 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 Two months before the explosion. He took photos of the text that they found on his phone. And the, it was in Hungarian. So they think he took photos of it so that he could translate it later. Also, he seems like the kind of guy that would just keep remnants of what she did to him. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Uh. So this is when they think he made his plan. Bear in mind, at this point, a month before the explosion, he is dating Valerie. Oh, boy. Yeah. And Valerie, who specifically put on her dating profile that she was looking for a man who wasn't obsessed with his ex. Yeah. No baggage. No ex baggage. That's like saying I'm open to dating anyone, any gender, any religion, anyone, as long as they're not a fan of Lena Dunham. Anyone, you could be a disfigured KKK member living in your mom's basement, but you can't like Lena Dunham. And I fall for this person. And then one day I go to their mom's basement and I open their closet and it's covered wall to wall with cut out photos of Lena Dunham. But does saying that attract the person that has that? Does the universe, like they say, put it out there what you want, but if you put it out there what you don't want, does sometimes the universe give you that just to spite you? Because the universe is cruel. Valerie, have you met an old woman on a road <laughs> that gave you an amulet? And I'm not talking about the amulet that you were wearing when you were on the wine hike. Was there a time when you were in a caravan mm -hmm. and a woman... <laughs> held your hand in you palm reading. I'm just trying to figure out if she's Were you cursed? Been, yeah. Are you cursed? Mm -hmm. I feel really bad for you. This is really a shame. Mm -hmm. So Stephen, they find more videos that he had put online 
In one of them, he is explaining as an expert how to safely mix explosive materials. Oh, my gosh. Someone take away Stephen's internet access right now. He should stop making YouTube videos. No I smart I didn't want to see his acting reel, and I didn't want to see this. I don't think that was an acting reel because he was talking about acting in such a way that it made me think that he was becoming a coach. Well, That's what made me the most nervous about for that For sure. Reel. It was called acting reel on the site, but it's not an acting reel because he was talking as himself about acting. Maybe it was like an intro, like before he shows clips of things that he's in, except he doesn't have any clips of things that he's in because he hasn't been in anything. Yes, he has. He's been in 12 Angry Jurors. Right. Uh, he talks about acting first. To show how passionate he is about acting. No, no, don't do that. Yeah. So the materials from his house match the kind of materials in the bomb. Mm -mm. And he bought the box at Staples, which was like the witness saw her open when the explosion happened. And the exact type, make, and model of battery that was used in the bomb was the kind he bought at CVS. Mm -hmm. He also was checking her appointment schedule and Facebook repeatedly that day, which is horrible because he did it when there were two customers in the spa. So he knew that they were going to be there and he still did it anyways. That's bad. Also, we don't really ever find out like how the box got there. Like, did he come in and set it there with her name on it? Or like it wasn't mailed, right? Was it mailed? I don't think so. I feel like he... He but he's in and out of the spa all the time, exactly. right? He's the co-owner. So yeah. it makes sense that, okay. Mm -hmm. The planning in this, though. The planning. Yeah. But also he did it when there were two innocent people there. That's terrible. He also searched online if a narcissist could beat a lie detector test. Again, take away his internet access. So his defense attorney says the investigators had tunnel vision. He said that he and Ildico w had a great relationship. They texted each other when they were broken up. She texted him, I miss you. When do we get to cuddle? This was when he was with Valerie. Valerie, why don't you come on over and let us show you some text messages? That's He wrote, I miss you too. Mm. I think that's just kind of her way. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's not great. It's confusing for someone like Steven. It is. Yeah. So he says the killer could be her nemesis, Elizabeth. A month and a half before the explosion, Elizabeth, who is dating... Who is married. Who is married, sorry, to... Uh, Gabor. Gaborovich. Gabor, Gab Gaborable. Gaborable. Yeah. yeah. Gaborable is not deplorable. Gaborable is adorable. Adorable. I just can't yeah. get it there. Yeah. Gaborgeous. So a month and a half before the explosion, she had demanded that Ildiko's husband, because remember, Ildiko is also married, which right. we keep forgetting about, or at least I do. Well, and we don't have him in Dateline. We don't right. see him. So, right. yeah. Elizabeth texted him, like, get your wife to leave my husband alone. She's right. destroying our family. Right. The defense says the search of Elizabeth's home was not thorough enough when they were looking for bombing stuff there and the photos are very grainy which apparently proves that the search was not thorough because the photos did not come out well of the search okay again there is no proof that the paps knew anything about bomb making and steven knew everything about bomb making i think what they're saying is that there's there's 
dark photos of the of the Paps house. They're mm-hmm. all they're not done very well. So right. they didn't care. They didn't see them as suspects. But Stevens, they're all brightly lit and there's so many more photos. Right. So it's like they were really focused on this search, not so much on that one. Yeah. So really it does go with the tunnel vision defense. Mm-hmm. Then they blame the handyman Max. The cameras at the spa weren't working at the time and a handyman would know that. You know who else would know that? The co-owner of the spa, Stephen. So I don't go. think that theory helps you at all. Nope. Then they blame the husband, Nilo. And they really mm. have nothing that points to Nilo. But that's your better one, I feel like. Yeah, but they have nothing. So then they say Ildiko needed those batteries for her business regularly. That's why Stephen went to buy the batteries. Wouldn't he buy them in bulk then? And wouldn't he use a company credit card and not cash? Why would you get out cash right before going to... And that's all he bought, right? Was yeah. the battery. Yeah. Wouldn't you also buy an energy drink and, mm-hmm. I don't know, a bag of Skittles, yeah. something? If she things? uses those for her laser equipment or whatever, I don't know what you use it for. I feel like you would order lots of batteries and always have extra. But they are just new business owners, so maybe it was... Or rechargeable ones. Rechargeable ones, exactly. Right, especially a 9-volt, which is kind of pricey. Those are the weird square ones, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, Yeah. they are pricey. Then the defense attorney points out he bought the box at Staples with his Staples reward card. So they're like, he wasn't hiding anything. He used his Staples reward cards. you got to get those points. Wow. This is the one that's the richest. The reason he did those searches on if a narcissist can pass a lie detector test is because he had been offered an audition for a polygraph administrator role. Um, I would, I need, I'm going to need to see the breakdown on that. I'm going to yeah. need to see if that's true. Are they talking about 12 Angry Jurors? Right. There's no polygraph person in that, okay. to my knowledge. It's just the jurors. Yeah. Also, if Stephen listened to our podcast, he would know that you would Put, can a narcissist pass a lie detector test for school essay, for spec script, for research paper in your Google search? Not so the FBI for murder. <laughs> Not for murder. So Manx sits down with three of the jurors, Here including one named Klaus, who looks like a younger member of ZZ Top who uses Pro's hair care products. Because it's not frizzy. He looks like he's in a metal band. Multiple yeah. metal bands. Also, maybe a metal worker. <laughs> also, all metal. maybe has a very high IQ. Absolutely. Yeah. He is my favorite here. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the jury has to decide. This was a little confusing to me. They know that Stephen bought the battery. But there appears to be some question over whether the battery was used in the bomb. Now, it was embedded in the ceiling. And so Klaus says if it was embedded in the ceiling, it was part of the explosion. It was on top somewhere in the bomb. Like, I just think that's obvious. Now, there's another juror named Maricela who thinks the battery has nothing to do with the bomb and was just sitting there on the counter and then got exploded into the ceiling. Which also kind of tracks. I believe Klaus, because Klaus speaks confidently and uses scientific terms. But it does, I would like to see what else has been embedded in the ceiling. What else was embedded in the ceiling that was not, they think, part of the bomb? Also, 
was there a bomb expert that came in exactly. and said, this is how a battery is used in this kind of a bomb? We've seen a battery used in this way before, a specific battery like a you 9 volt. You need a battery. You need a 9 volt. So this has to be part of it. It has to be part of it. So That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear too, because otherwise we can see the destruction. So absolutely, there could be all sorts of stuff in the ceiling. So mm -hmm. I do see the reasonable doubt there. I do. Yeah. So does Stephen have the motive? Does he have an anger problem? They don't know if they're getting the obsession with her that the prosecution is saying. And even Mank says to the prosecutors, when I look at his text with her, there's no venom. There's right. no, the usual stuff we see on Dateline is, you're not going to live without me. You can't leave me. Things like that. And the prosecutors say, well, he was trying to win her back. So he's very calm and calculating. He thinks he's the smartest in the room, which mark it off your bingo cards. Also, I would love a bomb expert. You know, who I would I would love Spence from Criminal Minds to take the stand and explain that bomb makers in their psychology tend to be more calm and calculated, more passive, more like planning, but not outwardly aggressive, maybe. I want to know the psychology of it compared to other kinds of killers. So we need a profiler. We need someone. That's why Criminal Minds, Spence. He's my go. favorite and he's super cute. I don't think I've ever seen Criminal Minds. Apologies. So I did oh, not. Oh, that's I don't okay. Know it's about Spence. very dark. I'm surprised you haven't because it's the darkest of any of those kind of shows. It's so dark that sometimes I've had to turn it off. But it's a monster of the week, right? And sometimes, but there's an overarching big enemy sometimes too. I'll think about it. It's good. Um, I I get this because I don't think the whole way through we see that there's a strong motive. He doesn't act like how we typically see someone act. Right. I want to see the jealousy, the the you know the text, the or the money motive. I want to understand Correct. the insurance money on the business, or did he want the business to himself, even though she was the esthetician. I want to know. That's why I was specifics. asking about the money because the other motive yeah. really feels like it's not there. Right. Because the amount of hatred you'd have to have to do this is odd. It almost feels like this would be something where you wouldn't want her to find the package. You would want, it almost seems like you would want her to be in Hungary still. And you want someone else to open the package to make sure she's not hurt. And then something happens to the business, right? Right. If it was about the business. Right. If it's about her too, it's hard to imagine that someone is in a new relationship. With a woman that he's going to propose to. Right. I mean, but we've seen these kind of crazy psychopath people before. I guess. It's just weird. It's hard to imagine. It's really so hard. I get why the jury is having some trouble with this. In his first interview with the police, he was talking about her in the past tense, but the police had not identified her yet. That's one of those that's not evidence, but it's very suspicious. There we go. So the jury said they could not decide, and it got heated in the discussion. I want to know, was it Klaus that got heated? What happened? Right. Finally, they say they're hung. It's a mistrial. They can't decide. So the second trial starts. They are not dropping this, for sure. They say no one else had the motive, the means, and the opportunity. And this time, they do a recreation of the explosion in a field and they play the video for the jury just to show how violent this bomb was. And they used the same stuff he had in his garage to make the bomb. Okay. That's good. 
That's that's a good demonstration. That's how you, yeah. They also show the footage of Ildiko's scattered body parts, which is just horrifying, but I think they really wanted to show how violent it was. They also show a mannequin. There's like a mannequin that has its arms and legs blown off. Mm. It's horrible. I will say the only thing is mm-hmm. she did not, her and her child will know, she did not suffer. Mm-hmm. She was just gone. And so very fast. if there's yeah. any solace, I can totally see that. Yeah. Hopefully that helps because no, murder is always awful. So any solace mm-hmm. in the storm, you know. Mm-hmm. So Valerie is standing by Stephen this whole time mm-hmm. and the defense wants to use her. They want to show the jury, look, he's completely moved on with this woman. He was not that fascinated with Ildico anymore. Mm-hmm. So they put Valerie on the stand and she tells them about the FBI sting and how she tried to get him to confess and he never did. Turns out she had confessed to Stephen after that wine hike and he wasn't angry at all, which I find weird. That's weird to me. I think it tells us what we need to know. About Stephen? No, about how that whole thing went down. Because it feels like anybody would be sort of upset, right? Mm-hmm. Unless they were performing. Like she had told him ahead of time? Yeah. I think when Mank does his little bit oh, in yeah. a second. Oh, yeah, his amazing demonstration, yeah. yeah. Something like that happened. Because I think he would be mad. I think anybody would have some sort of outward emotion. But for him just to be fine with it feels real weird, especially because it seems like he did it. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, cousin Melanie in the Lori Vallow case, she wore a wire and was forgiven by her new beau. But that was a whole weird relationship anyway. That was bizarre. That was really bizarre. Yeah. So they say this required so much planning and emotion and you have to be really dedicated to this to do this plan right and we don't have that from him this is again when the criminal minds person would have been very helpful mm-hmm. finally the second jury finds him guilty within five hours pretty quick the second jury finds him guilty and ildico's cousin ava who is seems very lovely she said she was so relieved yeah. that finally there was some justice now, after the verdict, Mank sits down right. with Valerie again. And why don't you come on over, Valerie? Because Katie is going to finish this recap. Uh, Katie's going to tell everyone about the shade that Mank is throwing, but in the kindest way possible. But I'm still going to need some sunglasses for that shade. That's great. I can't wait to recommend Gooder sunglasses to Mank because he's always been dapper, but he's been especially stylish with his new look lately. He has a new fresh haircut. I would tell him, Mank, these glasses, they're 100% polarized, so they're better for your eyes, but they're inexpensive enough that if you break or lose them when you're running away from your throngs of fans like the Beatles, which is what I imagine what happens when he's walking through an airport... Exactly. He can just replace them because they're so inexpensive. He's also been working out a lot lately, and these don't slip or bounce when you're super active. They are so stylish. These sunglasses are only $25 a pair. They have a year warranty, 30-day free returns, 100% satisfaction guarantee, and they're 100% carbon neutral company. I told you I got the Don't Tab Shame Me recently. They are my new go-to. I'm completely obsessed. But they do have sunglasses for everything. There's a whole tab that you can click on of sunglasses that are good for playing pickleball. (gasps) 
They know what the people want at Gooder. They have snow goggles. What? Which is for something that comes out of the sky. It's white and you wear goggles because I don't understand it. It's bright. That's and amazing. It reflects. And so these are like super cool if you're going skiing or snowshoeing. And the names, you know, the names are my favorite of Gooder. Amazing. My new favorites are freshly baked man buns. There we go. And frequent sky mall shoppers. Yes. <laughs> I love that. They have so many styles, shapes, colors, and they are truly and honestly the most comfortable sunglasses I've ever worn. It's like they're not there. It's like air. I don't know how they do it, but they're sturdy at the same time. I think it's magic. It's weird magic technology. Yeah. Not like the kind of magic that Steven is doing, like actual <laughs> practical magic. Kind of, I would date someone who created this kind of magic. Mm-hmm. If you want to support our podcast and pick up a pair, Gooder is giving Date with Dateline listeners free shipping on your first order. You can go to gooder.com slash date dateline and use code date dateline to get free shipping. Gooder offers a 30-day money back guarantee and 100% satisfaction. Find your pair at gooder.com slash date dateline and use code date dateline to get free shipping. And it's G-O-O-D-R. Gooder, because they're the gooderest sunglasses on the planet. Everything's gooder with gooder shades. Yeah, better than great is gooder. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much, gooder. Thank you, gooder. So while I'm wearing my gooder shades, one thing that I like to do is to make sure that, especially in the snow, that my lips are not chapped mm-hmm. and looking fresh and plumped and pretty and even enter Thrive Cosmetics. Would you say snatched? Do people still say snatched or does that apply to your waist and not your lips? I feel like snatched applies to your whole makeup look, but that would include Thrive. I think Thrive makes you snatched. Yeah, I would say definitely because it makes you just look darn good. Do you like when I use words that are from five years ago as if I just heard them for the first time? I'm not sure I feel about it. I have mixed emotions. But what I don't have mixed emotions about is every item of cosmetics that I've gotten from Thrive Mm. because every single one is a winner. So it's really easy to see why all of their bestsellers have thousands of five-star reviews. I also love that Thrive is a company that knows how to give back because for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates product and funds to help communities thrive. I love that. I love knowing that my favorite cosmetics products also support communities that I care about. And you can see a list of these communities that they've donated to on their website. It's extensive and impressive. Wow. Good job, Thrive Cosmetics. Amazing. The newest product that I'm loving from Thrive is the Sheer Strength Lip Plumping Peptide Gloss. Ooh. It is a game changer. I'm talking visibly fuller looking lips without uncomfortable tingling sensations. Really? If you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah, that's why I said game changer, because I didn't know that there was plumping capabilities without uh, the tingle. I didn't know that either. And the tingle also kind of makes my lips a little chapped because I tend to bite when it's tingling, which is not good. No. The Thrive Sheer Strength Lip Plumping Peptide Gloss is 12-hour hydration, so it's ultra hydrating, all-day moisture for comfortable, never-drying wear. It does like a cooling sensation, but with a fresh citrus scent. 
Oh. It just feels nice. They have 10 different shades to enhance your natural lips. They have six shines and four shimmers that you can wear by themselves or you can layer over lipstick for a little bit of extra plump and extra gloss. They are amazing. Run to thrivecosmetics.com right now. I'm on it right now. Yeah, to try them out. I'm literally looking to try the lipstick right now. It's unbelievable. What are you waiting for? Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. And right now you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash date dateline. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash date dateline for 20% off your first order. It's that time of year when sometimes people kiss other people. Mm. Get a new gloss that makes your lips plump and hydrated from Thrive Cosmetics. Yes. Thank you so much, Thrive. Get snatched with Thrive. I have, I have nothing for that. <laughs> Thank you, Thrive. I'm done. <laughs> now let's talk about this legendary Mank interview with Valerie. Okay. So... Mank lets us know right away that it's been 897 days since he and Valerie first sat down. So this is a little while, I guess, after they've had their first interview. Mm -hmm. During that time, Mank says a couple of things have happened for both of them. Valerie has moved out of Southern California. She's living in a whole new state. They don't tell us what state. And Mank went on a diet and lost 70 pounds. So he lost a tiny child off his body. So here's what I think is happening, why he's mentioning this at the beginning of this interview with Valerie. Because he looks totally different. I think it's because people on social media will not leave him alone asking him about it. And if they're going to show old clips and new clips, he's like, let me get out in front of this and just address the weight loss elephant in the room. Totally. And it works. It's fine. It's it And he's proud of it, too. He feels great. Great. It's a perfect time to slip that in. It's the exact way to do this. But then he brings up immediately that there is also something that didn't happen during this 897 days, and that is the fact that Valerie and Stephen did not break up. That's shocking to me. So Valerie fully believes that he didn't do it. She thinks that he's innocent. She thinks, and one of the biggest reasons that she believes that he's innocent is that whole sting operation on the wine hike, the weird wine hike Hmm. that no one understands to this day. See, that makes me think she didn't tell him. If it's what convinced her. Oh, that's right. If that's what she's saying convinced her. That he would have had some sort of a breakdown and Mm -hmm. he would have told her. I don't know how hard she was pushing. They'd only been dating like two months at that point, right? But they were already living together. And when did she move in? I think she moved in like she, well, my dad always says that on the second date when he proposed, my mom always already had her bags packed at the door. (laughs) That's his joke. This might have been the case with Valerie. Okay. So she thinks that during that sting operation, he would have confessed something, something would have come out. Mink is shaking his head. It doesn't look good. And I feel like we're really about to have a come to Jesus talk when Mink is doing this. And we indeed are. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure I was right, but I I was right. Mm Mm-hmm. I love Josh at this moment because he also says what everyone else is thinking, which is, okay, maybe I've seen too many movies, but maybe there's also a reason for Steven not taking the bait. And he holds up a handwritten sign that says, I'm wearing a wire. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought from the beginning. Mm. I thought that she had absolutely told him that it was all performative. She'd given him some sort of a written warning. And so maybe he was just performing the entire time for the FBI. And it's also why he wasn't mad is because he knew. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so she could just be saying this to Josh Mankiewicz, not thinking that he knows, not thinking that he right. he's suspecting she wrote anything and, and tipped him off, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. She could be. Yeah, I wouldn't expect to go on Dateline and the journalist accuses me of wearing a wire, but that Mank is going to do it. You mean accuses her of? Of, sorry, accuses her of tipping off that she's wearing a wire. Yeah. But he totally does it. But he totally does. But it's also what everyone is thinking, I think. Yeah. He's also, we know he's an actor, right? Or a wannabe actor? That's why I would love to hear, this is why I would like to hear the tapes. Is he overacting? I think you and I would be able to tell if he knew. For sure. He's like, this is my greatest role ever. I think Mank also wanted to hear the tapes for that reason. Yeah. Because he tells yeah. us specifically the FBI would not give him the tapes. Mm-hmm. So, so because Valerie was on the witness list for both of the trials, she misses a lot of the trials because you're not allowed to sit in the trial if you're right. all, also a witness. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get kind of sad and come to Jesus with Josh Mankiewicz. Mank tells us that she wasn't really ready for what happens next. He's going to play some of the text messages that came out during the trial. Remember, they got together in 2018. This was a text message that Stephen had sent Ildico in April of 2018. So they were already together at this point. Yeah. Building a relationship with you is the single most important period of my life. Ildico, you rock my world. You are the woman I've always dreamed of. I will love you forever. Sent on April 22nd of 2018. And you can just sort of see her recognition after he says the date. She has, she pulls this tissue up to her nose. Yeah. And at this point, for the first time, I feel very bad for Valerie. Yeah. This is kind of a shattering moment. It is. I'm really glad she's with Josh Mankiewicz. Yeah. He's the kindest person to be with her when he's breaking her heart. Yeah. We know he's a champion for women. And we also know that he's doing the right thing. Yeah. She needs to know for sure. By telling her this. But she has a good response here. So she says, well, this makes me feel kind of shirty right now. And they have to bleep it. (laughs) Yeah. On TV. It's and Mank says, well, you know, not every text that's sent has to be put through a lie detector. And I know this is going to come as a shock to you. But not everything men say to women is true. So is he saying, don't believe these texts to Ildico, or he's saying, don't believe the things that Stephen told you when he said he was over Ildico? I'm not sure why he says the thing about the lie detector. Yeah, because he's talking about text specifically. So it feels like he's talking about the text to Ildico. So maybe he's like, guys, just say something. Maybe he didn't mean that he loves her so much and she's the love of his life and all that stuff. Oh, so he might be able, he might be trying to soften the blow a little bit. That's what I'm wondering. I think he is. I think he is. That's a really good point. I didn't, that didn't occur to me. We'll ask him to yeah. specify at this point. And we also see that she has this really fun blue manicure that she got for Dateline that's all different color blues on her fingers. And like, you know, she went and did it for mm-hmm. this, you know? It just I love hurts. That. It, it hurts a little bit. My heart yeah. hurts. It's not mm-hmm. your fault, Valerie. You made some bad decisions, but this guy just happened no. to come into your life and you stayed on too long. And this so ironic that what she specifically wanted was somebody who was not hung up on. Yeah. She said, I keep getting guys who were hung up on their exes. So I put it in the profile. Can't be hung up you on your ex. Except unless no. that was some sort of weird thing where somebody looked for that, saw that, and decided to go for you, which is, again, right, would be very strange. So Josh says... Well, it's been five years alone and hoping. 
And you owe yourself something here too, not just him. And I thought that was beautiful. And thank you so much, Josh, for Mm -hmm. you showed her the truth, but you were very kind. Yes. It's really good. You're helping her move on. And what that's what mm-hmm. she desperately needs to do is move on here. Yeah. So in January of 2024, Stephen receives his sentence, which is life in federal prison plus 30 years. And we end with Eva, cousin Eva, telling us she gives her cousin a really wonderful compliment because she says that she'll not only miss like calling her every day and just having those day-to-day things, but what she'll miss is that when she would go into the salon, you leave just flying because she puts you in a good mood. And this is reiterated again by her other friend and client, Mm -hmm. Holly, who says that she was the sunshine in some of my darkest days. Yeah. And that's that's a huge thing to be that to someone. So Yeah, it's sad all around. The only hope we have is that Valerie is now ready to move on. That's literally like the only is. thing that's I think she it says she's ready. She's she's ready to reevaluate things and yeah. maybe move on. And I think that few. I think that's really good. There are two women at the core of this story, kind of. And Ildico died, yeah. and Valerie is now ready to move on from this. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. It's a great ending. So great episode, Mank. Now. Let's get the outside info. Get ready. I'm ready. Because I don't think Katie knows about this. I learned about it on Twitter because Dateline producer posted, tweeted an article. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm going to be reading from the article directly, so I'll link it in show notes. Where's the article from? It's from NBC News. When was this written? Just a couple days ago. Okay, okay. And the title is, Before a California bomber killed his ex-girlfriend, his wife died a mysterious death, officials say. Stop it. I know. Okay, so... Uh, the death of Ildiko Kronjak, uh, 48, the package bombing, came roughly a decade after Stephen Beale's wife died in what an official with the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner's Office said at the time was a mysterious case. Now federal prosecutors have weighed in with a filing that calls the circumstances surrounding the death highly suspicious. Beale has never been accused of a crime in Christine Beale's 2008 death, which the medical examiner's office concluded was probably natural. (gasps) Beale won a half a million dollar lawsuit against an insurance company that initially denied an accidental death claim he filed in the months after she died. So he got half a million in, uh, he sued the life insurance company. But in a January 5th of this year filing, prosecutors with the U.S. Attorneys for California's Central District pointed to several factors in Christine's death, including elevated lead levels in her body during a toxicology analysis and her husband's failure to communicate with medical staff. They made the allegations in a filing that urged the judge in the bombing case to consider his first wife's death as the judge had to determine his prison sentence. So they were trying to get him a harder sentence for Ildico's murder and wanted the judge to use this. Wait a minute. So so elevated so, lead, but it was ruled as like, what, a heart attack? No, you'll see. Okay, okay. Uh, so, yeah. 
So the judge said no, she wouldn't take into account Christine's death, but she did call the bombing calculated and chilling and gave him life in prison, plus 30 years for four felony charges, including the use of weapons as a mass destruction, resulting in death. So he's also going to be sentenced this month in a separate case, which he pleaded guilty to wire fraud and other crimes for failing to report hundreds of thousands of dollars from his wife's estate and fraudulently obtaining insurance benefits and social security payments. <gasps> Is this that plus 30 years? Is this the plus 30 years that he got? Because remember, he got life. No, that's for the bombing. He's still going to be charged sometime in this month in February of 2024 oh my for God. these fraud charges. So, Valerie, run. Yeah. A federal prosecutor in the bombing case agreed that his wife Christine's death was horrible and tragic. But now he says to NBC News, we believe the death was suspicious. So they interviewed his daughter. Okay. And I'm not sure if it's the same daughter that was on Dateline. They interviewed Stephen's daughter. The fall that um, she believes led to her mother's death occurred in 2008, while Christine and Stephen were carrying a piece of furniture down a flight of stairs in their Long Beach home. Stephen was holding the top of what the insurance lawsuit describes as a 49-pound table. What? That's not that heavy, I don't think, for a table. No, it's kind of heavy. So kind she's, of heavy, but, but she's like, holding the... She's at the bottom. He's at the... T exactly. Christine, who was 48 at the time, which I think is like the same age as oh Ildiko. It is. And in the best shape of her life, was at the bottom of carrying this table. They lost their balance, and Christine fell halfway down the one-story set of curved, carpeted stairs. The furniture landed on her abdomen, and Stephen fell on top of the pile. After the fall, Christine was in excruciating pain, and Stephen took her to different doctors in the weeks that followed. The daughter says her mother never accused Stephen of intentionally pushing her down the stairs. According to the coroner's report, the visits to the doctor revealed contusions and bleeding, and Christine reported fatigue, constipation, and other symptoms. On March 8th, after several days of vomiting, Christine was pronounced dead at a Long Beach hospital. She had internal injuries. Didn't she not go to the hospital after the fall? No, I don't think so. I think just to doctors after. An autopsy completed later that year determined her cause of death as pancreatitis when the organ becomes inflamed after electrolyte imbalance and other unknown factors. She was vomiting for several days. It would make sense that her electrolytes yeah. were low. Yeah. The manner of death was listed as undetermined. Hmm. The autopsy reads, whether or not trauma played any role is not known. There is no evidence of foul play. Death is probably natural. But then the official who wrote the report wrote on it, mysterious case. Oh, my God. The autopsy also listed chronic lead intoxication as a contributing factor to her death. A toxicology analysis revealed lead levels that were roughly four times the amount typically found in an adult. The source of the lead was unknown. Prosecutors pointed to detail in the last month's filing as evidence of the suspicious circumstance around the wife's death. 
The filing notes that Stephen bought lead tetraoxide. Again, with these chemicals, Stephen. Wow. Bought lead tetraoxide in the months before her death and includes two invoices that identify the Virginia Pyrotechnics Company where he purchased the compound. The filing does not provide additional details about what Stephen may have used the lead for. And the federal prosecutor said he didn't have any in additional information either. The Long Beach police investigation, which began the same year as the deadly blast at the spa, looked at whether Christine had been poisoned by lead. Detectives did not find any evidence to suggest Beale's exposure to lead was a criminal act. His family believes that the elevated lead levels may have come from a house her parents had fixed up. Mm -hmm. Her father experienced, her father, so she meant Stephen. Stephen also experienced what she described as an exposure that was far more serious than Christine's, with symptoms that included cognitive issues and extreme fatigue. She said her father finished treatment for lead poisoning a few months before her mother's death. We have seen datelines where people poison themselves as well. Yeah. So that they both have the poisoning. The filing said Stephen attributed his wife's poisoning to a prior owner of their home who made fishing lures in the house. In general, some fishing gear is made of lead, but prosecutors did not provide additional details. They called him uncooperative at the hospital. So another detail in the coroner's report that was written right after Christine died is that when Christine was admitted to the ICU, her medical history was unknown and Stephen was reported as uncooperative at the hospital. He did not want to reveal, in quotes, information to the hospital staff about his wife. Like the fact that they had had a fall? He didn't want to say, he didn't want to say any, he's like acting all shady. He doesn't want to say anything about her medical history. Why? His daughter says it was because he was frustrated with the medical system. He was done with the fact that they had pursued as much medical help as they could have, and she died anyway. I think he was very much in mourning, and I think he was tired of dealing with the same questions again and again when the answer was the same. Oh. Oh, gosh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. They're trying to find out why she died. Yeah. Another detail prosecutors highlighted was an accidental death insurance policy obtained through Stephen's job in the weeks before Christine fell down the stairs. So oh. a few weeks before she fell down the stairs, he got an accidental death insurance policy and his wife was insured under the plan. It wasn't even clear if Stephen was also covered. So maybe just his wife was covered? <laughs> Unsure. But he got it just a few weeks before she died from an accident. Eight months after Christine died, he filed a claim that was denied. A medical expert said the insurance company couldn't definitively say how, Steve, how Christine died, so they didn't want to give him the money, and so he sued them for the money. But a forensic pathologist who reviewed the case for Stephen found the opposite, saying that it was difficult but not impossible to conclude that the fall was not a substantial factor in the death of Mrs. Beale. So, so he wouldn't get the supplemental insurance then? If it was an accident and it was from the fall, he would get this money. But maybe if it was from these medical conditions, he wouldn't get the accident He's not going to get the supplemental insurance. Right? Yeah. When the insurance company continued to deny the claim, Stephen filed a lawsuit seeking half a million dollars in benefits, and he won. The judge said that the insurance company's expert hadn't used the correct standard in determining whether Christine's death was accidental. He was given $550,000. Hmm. 
But the daughter says he didn't say much about the lawsuit or the money, and she said he appeared to be in a prolonged state of grief until he met Ildiko. Oh. So she's like the one who brought him back to life. Oh, no. And the daughter says that, you know, she doesn't think he killed Ildiko. The killing doesn't make sense with the person she knew her father to be. She 100% believes in his innocence. Oh, no. So no charges have been filed in the death of Christine. But it's very weird. It's very odd. It's very, very odd. There were chemicals involved again. He filed this accidental thing three weeks before she fell down the stairs. Yeah, some of this is very odd. Was um, is Valerie independently wealthy? It's a great question. We need to know I that. wish we knew that. Run, girl! You're in danger. So I can't wait to ask Mike about this. I I know they just couldn't fit it. I'm sure he's going to talk about it on on talking, talking Dateline, Dateline. Yeah, because he did say on Twitter, "Just you wait. There's stuff. This could have been a three hour episode." This is one time when you know I I always am. I like it when there's a lot of evidence and. Mm-hmm. It all lines up. Yeah. But this is one time where the coincidences are too much. This is your Occam's razor. Absolutely. This is not a zebra. Right. This is a horse. Yeah. It's very odd that your hobby. This also feels a little bit like people that go in and taunt the police when, they, when they've done the crime. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When you go in and did that big interview, all mm-hmm. that felt off. And mm-hmm. feeling off is not good. Yeah. That's bad volunteering way too much information way too much information oh that's inserting yourself in the case yeah you can't have another suspicious death Stephen. no because then and you're michael peterson and as much as i believe in the owl theory it's very weird that he had two women die on the stairs oh my gosh i have so many thoughts right that's crazy that is fascinating and it's not even in the episode because they just didn't have time all right, we have to roll through the extras here because we have to get to our interview with yeah. Josh, which is important. B-roll. Yeah. Uh, Aliso Viejo, surfers. Yeah. Holly is on her phone in a, like, a little outdoor sunroom kind of thing, mm-hmm. which I don't see a lot around this area. So That sunroom was cute. It was very cute. Yeah. And the FBI are sitting at the messiest table covered in yes. photographs, our casting couch table. It's yeah. just... It's so covered. It's a huge table. Did you get my favorite B-roll of this FBI joint terrorist squad is them. Mm -hmm. When they introduce them, they say who they are before and the camera's panning back and they come around the corner and start walking (laughs) towards the camera. So good. That's so dramatic. This is so dramatic and great for something that you just described as FBI Joint Terrorism Special Task Force, yeah. or whatever it is for the title that you gave these two agents, it's brilliant. It only would be better if they, like, repelled out of a helicopter. Yeah. And and in absence of that, coming around unseen from a corner is yeah. great. It's great. great. Yeah. Very good. Very, very good. Uh, do you have fashion police? Yes. Yeah, so we also have quite a lot of B-roll of Valerie oh, in yeah. different stages. And it ties into my fashion police, which okay. is we have Valerie in a fleece with a loud print and like a hobo bag. I think she's kind of a she's kind of like a bohemian lady. Yeah, I could see that. Valerie, what do you do? Are you an artist? What do you do in Laguna yeah, Beach? I'm so fascinated. Or in Elisa Viejo. I need to know. What why are you there? Yeah. Did you grow up there? Um Mank and Pink, always good. Mank and Pink, no pocket square. Oh, but I'll take it if it's in pink. Yeah. That's okay if he doesn't have the pocket square and he's in pink. 
um, cousin Ava's gorgeous scarf, all yes. of the Hungarian women in this dress like a million dollars. Yes. Um, Ildiko also is in chunky jewelry and looks fantastic in it. Yep. And she wears a scarf that has a print of playing cards. It's so cute. Yeah. So she must play cards. That's what must be why she was at the casino. I wonder if she's a poker player. Oh, yeah, maybe. That's it. I bet she's yeah. a card player. Now we have it. Uh, do you have titles? Um, for my final magic trick, I will teleport myself to jail. <laughs> Explosive situation. Yep. Love bomb. Mm-hmm. The queen of hearts. Oh, I love that. Because she was wearing the scarf. Yeah, yeah. The pap smear. Because the, the paps. It's, it's true. The paps. They were, got smeared. They got smeared. Their whole reputation got smeared. It on does technically work. Yeah. Yeah. And the paps are Elizabeth and Igor. Gabor. Gabor. Gorgeous. Yeah. That's all I have. How about if someone tells you they are a suspect, believe them. Yes. Because <laughs> that's what he did. Yeah. But he went into the FBI. Yeah. I also have uh-huh. sad eligible. What does that mean? Instead of sag eligible. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. I'm going to pee my pants. Sad eligible. Is I, I literally one. have to pee, and that is so funny. Okay, and then my favorite one, a package beal. <gasps> a package beal. Yeah, I love it. Because of the package and yeah. beal. Okay, Twitter. And so we have Twitter. I'm excited. Okay. Charlie says, Valerie really wasted five years of her life for the Timo version of Tim Curry. We all saw his demo reel. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, Jane says... Juror, no, that battery wasn't part of the bomb. It was already embedded in the ceiling like that. I'm not a bomb expert, but I play one on TV. <laughs> Heather said, last night's dateline when Josh Mankiewicz dropped the proverbial bomb on Valerie. Mm. Jen says, date dateline should have a whole fashion police segment on the juror Klaus's hair. I'm a fan. I'm a f- I, it was well conditioned. I'm not a fan, but it was well conditioned. I like Klaus. A lot as a person. I and I think Klaus was probably one of the eight that was voting to convict. Yeah, for sure. Dateline producer said another interesting tidbit from Stephen's first interview with law enforcement. When they asked him if there was anything they needed to know before entering his home, he wanted them to know there were fruit flies in the kitchen. Was he being funny? I don't know. But Carla said, Date, Dateline, that sounds like something Joni would say. <laughs> That sounds like something both you and I would both say and totally. apologize. I have really, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. So sorry. I, I can't I swear, get rid of them. I swear I'm not gross, but at, I'm a little at gross. At my rental house, at the rental house, we had flies that I could not figure out where they came from, how to get rid of them. It was a nightmare. I bought all the stuff to make the like the traps. And I hate killing things, but they're just, they they de- du- duplicate. like And defecate. They and do both de- of the Ds. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jen says, Stephen has given me major Christopher McDonald vibes circa Thelma and Louise. I did not know this was this actor's name, but it, he totally looks like Stephen. So, really? Yeah, okay, I'm going to have go. to look him up before because he looks so familiar. I know I've seen him in a bunch of things. Natalie Bannon, who we love, said, Stephen looks like he could have been a 90s contemporary Christian artist. Yeah. He looks like the kind of guy who would have recorded music with Amy Grant before she went secular and Katie had to start writing her letters. <laughs> mm-hmm. El Shaddai. El Mandy Shaddai. says, wow, Kimber's disbelief in coincidence and her love of the pencil theory is really going to get a workout in this case. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I agree with you. That's great. That's exciting. That's yeah, very I exciting. I agree with you. Dateline producer said Stephen acted in a few short films, including one where he plays a scientist researching a microbe that thrives off the arsenic at the bottom of Mono Lake, California. Do we want to see that? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. A microbe scientist. They do say that Stephen did express interest in speaking with Dateline after he was convicted, but where he was in prison, they weren't able to do it. So he's he in federal wanted, prison. He wanted to come on Dateline. Of course he did. He loves to talk. Of course he wanted to. I would love to see that, though. Yep. Stephen will be again sentenced later this month for another case. As part of a plea agreement, Stephen admitted that he had committed fraud to receive about $1 million in benefits through a workplace disability insurance plan. See, he's been a scammer for life. He was yeah, a scammer the, with his first wife. It's clear that like the disability, you can't remember things. Yeah. But you can memorize a script. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, Southern Beach Girl said, so bomb maker cheaped out on a CVS brand battery. Imagine if it had been Energizer. Nikki. I was just going to, I was going to say that. I was like, <laughs> you get CVS brand because you're trying to save $3. Right. On a bomb. And instead, because if it was an Energizer, they wouldn't have even tried to trace it. That's a good point. That's a really good point. It's ridiculous. Because you can buy those anywhere. And then instead, somebody remembers there's a CVS and then yeah. they can see that you bought a battery. So dumb. That is such a good point. Mickey Martini said CVS is the Walmart of the story. Mm-hmm. The woman from Michigan said tonight's special appearance for Walmart is CVS. <laughs> Standing in for Walmart this yeah. evening will be CVS. Yeah. Amy says, so the dude shows up and talks freely about making rockets and so very concerned about his business partner and former lover who dates other men than her husband. Got it. And Josh Mankiewicz said, number one, if you're guilty, don't do this. Number two, if you're innocent, don't do this. Number three, if you really enjoy scrutiny from law enforcement, do this. Wow. That was great. <laughs> And then Natalie Bannon said, suspicious package talk reminds me of when I received a very creepy book addressed to just my first name. The address was one digit off. I was so scared I asked Josh Mankiewicz for advice. Turned out I had a neighbor also named Natalie who was into some very freaky stuff. And wow. Josh tweeted, did I say, Nat, open it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rex the TV Terrier, who we love, said, yes. guess, guessing he bought that battery at CVS so he could use the four-mile-long receipt for packing material. There we go. Yep. Drummer the D Dateline Dog, can't wait to hear Day Dateline talk about the quarter behind the ear fiasco. Jill said, can't wait to hear what Kimberly and Katie have to say about the magic trick. It's not good. Although he is a grandpa, right? He is a grandpa, so maybe he does it with his grandkids, but then you don't do it to FBI. Don't do it to FBI. Unless they're like, oh, show us a trick. Did they say show us a trick? Because if they sh said show us a trick. Right. Okay. Okay. But why did it come up that you were a part-time magician? That just shouldn't <laughs> have come up. Well, he told them. Again, he's trying to get work in any way possible. True. Sandy said, Stephen has the right to remain silent, but not the ability. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Lauren said, I'm playing two games tonight. Bingo and my own. And she's, she's playing bingo with peanut M&M's. So she, like our bingo card, she said, I'm playing yes. two games tonight, Dateline Bingo and my own game called Save Enough Peanut M&Ms to win Dateline Bingo. I'm losing both. <laughs> Jen says, Stephen Beale Express, new band name, I called it. And Jen also said, and this is for my Taylor fans. 
Hey, Steven, I know looks can be deceiving, but you're definitely guilty. That's one of Taylor's old songs from when she was like very young. There you go. It's a good song. It's called Hey, Steven. Someone said several squares checked on bingo, including odd interview. You could definitely mark off odd interview. Odd interview. For Steven. This tracks, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Pam says he needs to keep Carol King's name out of his mouth. Yeah. And Allie said, made his own fireworks, performed magic tricks. Who would have thought this guy was found on a dating site? And JM said, dang, save some for the rest of us, buddy. Do you? Wow. (laughs) Do you think that there's a chance that he was in a cape in one of his dating, his like Tinder pictures? I do, What are the odds that he's in an 80% chance? Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. Yeah, in a cape. Well, it is good cape weather. Cool, breezy. That's from Seinfeld. <laughs> there's no there's no cape that's acceptable in, in Orange County, California, no. number one. But <laughs> does it make it better if you're a magician in a cape? Weigh in in the comments. Please, because we had that know. episode, the girl who was the poltergeist girl from mm-hmm. Patreon, and that he magician showed up, in a cape. showed up at her driveway, just standing there looking at the house. And, and we, he was a clairvoyant? He was a something. Some sort of... Psychic scientist. Yeah. Psychic scientist. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And he was wearing a cape and it I didn't think, look right. No. It didn't look good. No, it's a, it was a suburban neighborhood and he was at the bottom of the driveway just staring up at the house. And I love a good goth, but I can't. Yeah. I can't be having that. Not You're going to scare the teenager. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> and there's really nothing like a surprised caped scientist or magician popping up out of nowhere to keep you up at night. With your mind racing, so many questions. Kimberly, tell me about how I can get some peaceful sleep. I've spoken many times about how hard sleeping is for me. I wake up in the middle of the night and cannot stop thinking about how I told the Starbucks barista to enjoy their coffee, even though they were not drinking coffee, they were working there. I have trouble falling asleep. I have trouble waking up. All of this has changed with Hatch Restore because it teaches you how to sleep better. I didn't know that you could learn something like that. And I'm all about self-improvement and learning new things. So this is perfect for me and it's life-changing. Getting good sleep is truly life-changing. Hatch, first of all, it looks gorgeous. The colors, the sleek design, super classy. But I love what it does more than that. I love the morning meditations and the light movement in the morning because I wake up fully zombified cannot open my eyes, and Hatch eases me into my day instead of a loud alarm that is just blasting or a song that's going off and then you start to hate that song. Hatch makes waking up so much more pleasant. It also makes falling asleep so much less stressful for me with this new thing called pillow talk. They're kind of like podcasts. It's people telling stories, talking about different interests, but it's quiet and calming and entertaining. It's like this perfect mix of making falling asleep less stressful, but also entertaining and enjoyable, which has never been the case for me. I've always been really stressed about falling asleep. So I'm in love with Pillow Talk. And I'm not the only one. 83% of Hatch Restore customers report improved sleep and they have a 60-night money-back guarantee. So try it out. What are you waiting for? Sleep, life-changing. 
Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your first purchase of the Hatch Restore and free shipping at hatch.co slash date dateline. Visit hatch.co slash date dateline to get $20 off and free shipping. Hatch.co slash date dateline. Hatch yourself into some new sleep. Thank you, Hatch. And while we're talking about sleep, we can't overlook one of the most important parts of sleep, which is the bed. And what goes on the bed? The sheets. And what sheets should be on your bed? How about the softest sheets you've ever felt? And those are coming straight from Bowl and Branch. There are a few things that are hard to shop for online. I would include sheets as one of those things because I, like you, am one of those people that goes to the big box stores or the big box home designer discount stores, you know what I'm talking about, the chains, and try to reach my little finger under that plastic wrapping to feel how soft the sheets are. Take it from me. The softest sheets are bought online, and they're bought at Bowl & Branch. In a recent customer survey, 96% said that Bowl & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Sign me up. I am all about the softest. I want the softest of the soft. You may be like me, and your mother has told you your entire life, it's all about the thread count. It's all about the thread count. She wanted the highest thread count sheets for the lowest available price. Look, Bolin Branch has taught me a thing or two about thread count, and they've taught me that it's thread quality, not thread count. The conventional thinking goes, the higher the thread count, the better the sheets. But actually, according to Bull and Branch, thread count is not an accurate indicator of quality or softness. It's just a measurement and marketing myth. That's what they say on their website. And based on the softness of their sheets, I think that's 100% true. And I know that Bull and Branch prioritizes the quality of threads over the thread count. Woven sheets with 100% organic cotton to ensure that exceptional soft feeling that just gets softer with every wash. And the best part is you can feel the difference. You can feel that bowl and branch softness with their 30-night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash them, you can style and sleep in the sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. But I don't think you will because they have over 11,000 reviews on these sheets and they're loved by millions of sleepers. I'm one of them. Oliver's one of them. Kimber is one of them. You've got three right there. So sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code DATEDATELINE at bowlandbranch.com. 15% off. That's Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code DATEDATELINE. Exclusion supply, see site for details. I am bowled over with love for my new softest sheets ever, and I'm happy that I branched out into buying sheets online. Thank you so much, Bowl and Branch. Give them a try. It's sleeping on a dream while you dream. Uh, thank you, everybody. We're going to head into our interview with the Josh Mankiewicz now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. And please enjoy this extra special moment with Mank. 
We're about to play for you our interview with Josh Mankiewicz. And just a word about this, poor Katie is a little bit under the weather. And so she's lost her voice. So it's even uh, more alluring than it usually is. So you're going to hear that, but she might be a little bit quiet. But she was just as engaged as I was with all of Mank's wonderful tidbits from the episode. We have the most wonderful Josh Mankiewicz, Sir Mankey with the Hanky here, to talk about death at the spa. He has his great glasses that everyone's obsessed with, his new fresh haircut. He's looking amazing. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming. We have a lot of questions. This episode was so wild, we divided it into two parts because my notes were just so long. And then I thought, this is insane. There's so much. This case is wild. It is wild. It is a great story. You had told us about this in the fall when you were traveling. I think you were at the airport and right. you called and said, I'm working on this case. So is that about how long this took to do? This happened in 2018. Yeah. And we were on it. Oh, but you were all on it. Yeah. That's five years. We started on it right away. We were making phone calls on this way back then and trying to lock up the the Valerie's of the story and other people trying to talk to him because he was out of custody for a while. And also, you know, all of Ildico's friends and family trying to get them. So we've been on this a long time. Then there were two trials, one of which lasted a long time, one of which was quicker, one of which produced a verdict, one of which did not. Then, you know, nailing down federal prosecutors and the FBI is harder. Their schedules are a little harder to coordinate and stuff. So this took a really long time to do, much longer than most of our stories, which is one reason why you can see two radically different Josh Mankiewicz's in this story, one who weighed a lot more, and then this one. Okay, so is that why you threw it in to your conversation with Valerie, just to stop the comments and all of the questions that you were going to get? Yeah, I mean, I thought, like the viewers, this is one story. I'm trying to think if there are any others. I'm not sure there are where I did half of it before and half of it now. But certainly in this one, I knew that people were going to notice, well, you look really different in some of these interviews. So right. I just thought we'd point out like, hey, by the way, that was several years ago when I talked to you. And this is now, you know, and also some other stuff has changed with Valerie. She doesn't live in California anymore. She moved away, I think, in large part because of this. Yeah. We'll get no. to Valerie. Yeah. It was a seamless transition, by the way. How you threw it in was really good was. because then you immediately say, but let's talk about something that hasn't changed. That did not happen. It's <laughs> really good. You're still with Stephen Beal. Now, you said in part one, I know, like Valerie, raise your standards, which is something you talk about all the time. And I mean, look, we talked about that in the interview. I said to her, like, weren't there any guys who weren't under indictment? I mean, yeah. come on. Well, and they hadn't been dating very long. They've been together for like That's four the thing, weeks. they weren't. They just started seeing each other. They don't, it's not like they're living together or they have kids together or they own property together. I mean, these are just people who met online. And I think that when the other person gets arrested <laughs> for a significant thing, I mean, uh -huh. this is not some misdemeanor. When they get arrested for, you know, first having destructive devices, but you know that the real reason is to keep them locked up while they build a murder case against this guy. And everybody was aware of that at the time. I think that's when people ought to start looking for the door. For me, when you're standing on the side of the freeway and there are um, FBI bomb sniffing dogs and 13 cop cars and you're standing there, you got to hear that 
curb your enthusiasm music and just take a deep look at your life right now. Is this worth it? Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. They hit it off early on. Now, I do want to say this. I think Valerie got a lot of criticism, certainly online the night that it ran. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think Valerie was sort of trying to do the best she could. There was never any allegation that Valerie had anything to do with this. So she's trying to sort of simultaneously kind of get out of the way of law enforcement. They definitely put the squeeze on her. They talked about taking her kid away from her because she was living with Stephen Beale and they regarded him as a dangerous guy. And so, you know, we may have to call children and family services, that kind of thing. They were generally making her life difficult. And she sort of stood up to that. And I think also, you know, when the FBI says, we want you to essentially do a sting for us and, you know, try to get your lover to confess to this horrific murder, I think a lot of people would not do it, but she did do it. And she, I think she did definitely try hard. Do you? You think she, I do. You don't think she did the paper? No, I don't. I actually don't think she did that. But that occurred to me not long before we did the interview. And also, you got to remember yes, you could have done the paper holding up the sign that says, I'm wearing a wire, but they were also watching. They were not just listening. That's right. So, I mean, I don't really know because the FBI wouldn't give us the tape and they weren't too communicative about that kind of operational detail. They never are. But I presume they weren't, you know, they didn't have 25 cameras in the room and they weren't watching from every single angle, like, you know, one of these reality shows. There probably were times when they were out of sight of cameras. Like, I'm pretty sure they weren't in the bath. I hope so. It was a romantic weekend. The wine hike. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure like they're not watching in the bathroom and in every single (laughs) angle of the place. So, I mean, was there an opportunity for Valerie to say, you know, I'm wearing a wire or to hold up a sign? Yeah, there was. But I don't think she did that. I think that she did confess it to him pretty quickly afterwards. Right. Because I think she felt guilty about that. But I also think, and I think people didn't really think about this very much, I think that Valerie believed that because he didn't confess to her, that it was safe to continue seeing him. Now, that does away with the safety issue. I don't know that it does away with the raise your standards issue. Right. You know, I think that Valerie is moving on. It does, I guess, reflect a level of gullibility that she would think that a killer will say that he did it if I ask him. He'll say, I trust this guy. I think what she thinks is the guy that loves me, that I trust, that trusts me, will tell me. Yeah. You know, and yeah, right. I mean, most people, look, most people are never in that situation. It's hard to know what to expect. But I think that she thought that when he didn't tell her that he was probably safe. And, you know, she did want this to work. She She really did. She really did. The irony of putting in her dating profile, I am looking for someone specifically who is not hung up on their ex. Right. And now we can also talk about me reading Valerie the texts. Yeah. So was that your plan the whole time going in? Were you always going to read? Okay. Yes. I think you did her a favor. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, you got to remember, those were court exhibits. This is not something that no one had ever seen before. She couldn't see them because she was a witness and she was on the witness list for both trials. And the person she's talking to about this case, I don't know whether those were specifically mentioned in the trial coverage, but it was in federal court, which means there's no video of it. So there weren't any, there weren't really any stories on it on local news, you know, like breaking down the testimony and there's no court TV. So she wouldn't have seen it that way. She would have had to talk to somebody who was in court. And I think the person she was talking to was her boyfriend. So I I think it's, 
understandable that Valerie hadn't seen those texts before, indicating that even after he said he was done with Ildico and moved on from his ex, he wasn't, and he was probably ready to begin or restart things with Ildico for a long time, probably after he and Valerie were together for longer than he wanted to tell her. And as I said to her, like, you know, sometimes guys say things that are not true. That does happen. Not that that I've ever done that. No, you would never. No, no. But I think, yeah, Katie's right. You did her a favor and it was, it's girl code and you did it perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Well done. Although part of me, I was like, could they be in love? Is this true love? Mank is the anti-Cupid <laughs> breaking up people. But I think it was the right thing to do in this case, right, for sure. Right before Valentine's Day. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. I didn't like, I mean, I didn't like seeing her get upset. But then I will also say, you know, three minutes later, she was fine. We didn't even have to really stop. And then when after did you hear from her or or was it during the interview where she said she was ready to move on? It was right after we were done. I think she might have been waiting for a reason. Yeah. You think you gave her something that she kind of needed to be able to let that relationship go? I think she was, I, I mean, I don't want to give myself too much credit here. I think she was certainly nearing a point where she sort of knew, like, come on. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even if you believe 100% in his innocence and that he would never hurt you and all that, right? Yeah. He's going to be locked up the rest of his life and probably the rest of your life. Yeah. And you've got an obligation to yourself to move on, which I said to her. Really, that was a good scene. I have a logistical question about hotel room. When they're in the hotel room with the video cameras and the recording device, the FBI said they pay for it. Yep. What does she tell him? I won it. I won this wine hike. Oh, I don't know. I I think they had already, I think they had already paid for the weekend. I think. I don't think they reimbursed her that I know of. I, I don't know about that. I don't mm-hmm. think they really paid for it. I mean, I just said they offered some free upgrades, but I was kind of kidding. I meant like, you know, okay. we'll wire the room for sound for you. <laughs> you know, we'll- okay. wink, wink. Not like a muffin basket, which would have been. <laughs> I don't think she said, I want a free weekend. I, I think they were already going away. And, and On a okay. wine hike. Would you yeah. know what a wine hike is? And it seems dangerous and like a dateline Not waiting fun. to happen. Not fun. It does involve two things that I don't have a lot to do with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just off, just off the top. Yeah, you hike and then you drink wine. And if you drink enough wine, you don't have to hike, which I think is the. Uh, you can you just stop roll hiking. back down the. Hill. Uh, yeah, how do you get real? You get, they could bring a sled, and, and they you got a room, and you know it's fine. Yeah, that part of okay. it I like. It's not like a wheelbarrow situation. Not the FBI watching part, but the you know, I'm all for romantic weekends. I'm just not very big on drinking. Yeah, and or hiking, hiking. together. Or, I'm, not, I'm not big on hiking at all. How do you feel about plays in local community theater that are called 12 Angry Jurors that are just 12 Angry Men with the title changed? Question mark. You're not right. I mean, it shows you how far we've come, 12 Angry Men, right? Did you see it? Was it you in the audience? No, it was our producer and our crew. I was somewhere. I was on the road somewhere. And Jessica, who produced our story, who's so great. God bless Jessica for going and watching. She called me and she said, he's in a play. And I was like, you're kidding, right? So I'm like, let's go. She's like, do you want me to go? Want me to shoot her? I'm like, totally, let's go. So the actors knew Dateline was there or were they undercover? I don't know if they knew Dateline was there, but they certainly knew somebody with a camera was there. Yeah. I mean, like, community theater, this is not exactly like Broadway. You no. can show up and set up your camera. Nobody's going to, I think, really <laughs> stop you. 
They're going to be you really know. excited. They think it's their big break. Yeah, they'll be excited. Someone's filming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have gone. Yeah, I totally would have gone. Also, by the way, it's a great play. Yeah. Um, it can be. I don't know if this production was amazing, but. I don't know. But, you know, he certainly put his back into it, didn't he? He was, yeah. uh, he was good. I'm really surprised that he didn't agree to an interview. Just because he's an actor, I would think that if Dateline called, he would say yes. My understanding is that the issue was not his willingness to do it, but the Bureau of Prisons. No, before. Before, couldn't he have done it? Oh, you know, he could have when he was... Shown you some magic tricks? When he was out of custody, I, I don't know that he... He wasn't out of custody for that long in between the dropping of the of the weapons, destructive devices, charges, and then getting locked up again. Gotcha. But I believe this is one of those times in which uh, the person wants to do it and their attorney doesn't want them to do it. There you go. Have you ever done an interview with someone where they've pulled a coin from behind your ear? I have not done that. No, that has not happened. And sadly, we looked really hard. We didn't have that on video. Oh, man. You know, depending on who prosecutes the case and where it's prosecuted, federal or local, and what jurisdiction, sometimes you can get stuff that was part of the investigation but not presented in court. Sometimes you can only get exhibits that actually were presented in court. This was one of those times. So they didn't talk about him pulling the coin from behind Jack Ackerman's ear. So we didn't have it. I've covered other cases in which they'd be like, yeah, sure. If it's on the tape, we'll give you the whole three hours. You decide what you want to use. You know, once the guy's been convicted, it matters sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I would have, oh my gosh, I would have loved to have had that. And I would have loved to have heard, you know, him telling the jokes. And, you know, <laughs> yes. I just would have let that play. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks. Yeah. Let's talk about Elizabeth Papp. Any more details about the fight that happened at the spa? Dateline producer tweeted that there was a flip-flop involved. Remind people who that is, who who the Papps are, really quick. The woman who is married to Gabor, who right. is one of the men that Ildiko was sleeping with. Right. Ildiko and Gabor had an affair. Ildiko was married. Gabor was married. He's also Hungarian. They had this fling. I think that at one point he was going to leave his wife and be with Eldico. Oh, my. And then at one point, the wife came to the spa, Elizabeth, when both of them were there, both Gabor and Eldico. Now, there is some dispute as to what exactly was going on when the wife walked in. Okay, this uh, was my question. Were they yeah. having sex at the spa? At one point, it was characterized that way, and then other times you can't tell, or maybe you couldn't tell by looking in the window what was going on. But anyway, Elizabeth marches in there, whether they're actually in flagrante or not, there's a big fight, <laughs> yeah, and they're shouting at each other, all of them. I sort of have this idea of, you know, Gabor kind of holding them apart. Yeah. There we go. That That's may be it. my imagination. Yeah. We met with Gabor pre-story, and we were trying to talk him into doing it, but uh, he didn't want to do it. He's a nice guy, but uh, he didn't want to do it. Anyway, the end result of the fight is that Gabor ends up going back to his wife, and the affair with Ildiko appears to be over. But then a couple of things happen. One is that at some point, Elizabeth, the wife who now has her husband back, started sending Ildiko these photographs that were not just too graphic for us to show on television. They were too graphic for us to even characterize on television as to what they were of. Wow. But they were very salacious, sort of essentially saying, I've got him and you don't, mm -hmm. which to me sort of fights the idea that she had anything to do with this because that's not what you do before you kill someone. This, this right. is boasting. That's trash talking. 
you know, that's letting you know, I won, you lost. It will always be thus. Mm -hmm. Not you're going to pay for this, what mm -hmm. you've done. But yeah. then, then they had some kind of Facebook interaction. One of them poked the other on Facebook. And uh, <laughs> let me be clear. And Elizabeth saw that and that set her off again. And then she sent all these texts to Ranilo, whose role in this is also sort of similarly murky. Not that he had anything to do with it. He didn't. But how much he knew, how much he put up with, how much he didn't know is not clear. He didn't want to talk to us. He didn't. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, no. We would have had yeah. him. We would have loved that. Was Ildico driving by their house or was that ever confirmed? That there, uh, We don't know. We don't know. I mean, right. It's I mean, just I mean, each one is saying a different story. Right. I mean, Elizabeth did say that. All I can say is that there was never any report of Ildico from any of these guys. Generally, it was the other way around. Like the guys were all over her, not Ildico being unwilling to let go of somebody and pursuing somebody and showing up at their place of work. And there was no stalking behavior by her that we know of. She did date a lot of men. And some of them knew about each other. Some of them didn't. Clearly, her husband may not have known about everything. Stephen Beale, who she was involved with for a period of time, mm -hmm. did not know about everybody else. But like, you know, what did Gabor know about what else was going on? We don't know. I think that he thought that he and Ildiko were going to leave their spouses and make a life together. And then something after that fight, I gather that he went back. And I also think that that affair with Gabor didn't last that long. Mm. Okay. When she said to uh, one of her clients that she had found someone she wanted to be exclusive with, that yeah. might have been the man in San Francisco or the man that she Scott was having lunch or with. Or Laszlo. I think it's no, I think it's not the guy who flew back with her. Laszlo. It's the guy who picked her up at the airport. I think it's the guy who picked her up at the airport. His name was Scott. I mean, it is hard to pick someone up at LAX. That, that is a keeper. I, I will say, ladies. Raise your standards from a guy <laughs> under federal indictment to a guy who will pick you up at LAX. There we go. That's the stand. That's the gold standard. Those are it's two huge. different kinds of guys. Yeah. Uh huh. It's I love huge. it. So Cynthia enters the picture. Elizabeth Cynthia. and Gabor's daughter has yes. entered the chat. So, yes. So after our episode aired, I saw a Snapchat video posted by Gabor and Elizabeth's daughter in which she said a couple of things that were interesting. She, at that point, I think she said she had not seen the Dateline story. Right. So take everything she said with a grain of salt because she might mm -hmm. feel differently after she sees it. But she said that we portrayed Ildiko as a saint, which we clearly did not do. And she said that Ildiko was a terrible person who left a trail of not just broken hearts, but like wrecking marriages in people's lives. And I think we also sort of made that clear too. And she said that she wanted us to interview somebody who would bring out that side of it. And we tried because we would have talked to her and we would have talked to either of her parents or both her parents. And we went after all of them. So, you know, you don't get to complain that things get left out when you're the people that did not want to do the interview. And they didn't. Right. And I understand why they didn't, because they didn't want this to go any farther. You know, they don't mm -hmm. want to like have this be a, a bigger issue than it already was. But I'm not sure that Gabor and Elizabeth realized how irretrievably a part of the story they were. They yeah. were looked at by law enforcement. I mean, Elizabeth didn't threaten Ildico with any kind of bodily harm that we know of, but she certainly did not like her. And she clearly had a kind of a vendetta against her and was not unhappy, I think, when she found out that Ildico was dead. She also didn't have anything to do with it. But right. I think maybe they didn't quite realize how 
even if you don't cooperate. And we did say this to them, but that doesn't always sink in. Even if you don't cooperate, you're going to be in the story. We mm-hmm. have your picture. We have you walking in and out of the courthouse. You testified in open court in a federal trial on a murder case. Your name's going to be in here. And what you are alleged to have done and not done is going to be in here. So you should talk to us because I guarantee you, you're going to like this better if you talk. Now, I can all but guarantee that those words were said to the paps and they decided not to talk, which is their right. But it's hard to complain about it later when you when the stuff that's missing is exactly the stuff that you would have been able to provide. Right. And I think as the daughter, it's a tricky situation because she loves her dad. But it does seem like Ildico was getting a lot of the heat for breaking up these families when the men were very complicit in this. It takes two to have an affair. They were the ones that were married to their spouses. Yeah. I mean, it's look, people have affairs, you know, that maybe is not the most laudable human characteristic, but it certainly is happening out there. And yeah, yeah, nobody had a gun to Gabor's head. He went Mm -hmm. in for that with Ildico. They both were. And then, and then also, you know, you got to, give people some credit for recognizing their mistakes and trying to put their marriage back together. I get that. And I think maybe not talking on Dateline is part of rectifying that that mistake. Trying to leave it in the past. Yeah. 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 I think you did a very good job. It's very hard to not victim blame. And I don't think you did at all, even though she was living, like we said, a high-risk lifestyle by having all of these complicated relationships and affairs. She didn't deserve to die for that. And you didn't blame her at I all, mean, but you were not You were honest about her mistakes too. Yeah, I don't know that I would even characterize her lifestyle as high-risk. I mean, look, you know, she was gorgeous. She also was clearly charming and engaging and a nice person. And she also clearly did not care a whole lot about other people's marriage vows or her <laughs> own. And she was looking for a guy, a guy who would make her feel the way she wanted to feel and who would also, you know, take care of her. And she wouldn't have to be living hand to mouth all the time and take care of her, take care of her son. I mean, like, like wanting to find somebody like that is not make you a terrible person. Having that many relationships in which you, which are nearly simultaneous in which you don't necessarily tell everybody else what's going on is not a formula for getting murdered. It might be a formula for hurting other people's feelings and making them angry at you and making them feel bad. But I mean, how risky that was. You wouldn't think, oh, she's going to get bombed for this. She's going to get killed because she dated a bunch of different people. You'll think she's going to get, she'll be sorry. Yeah. She's living like she's on a soap opera. Get a reputation as being somebody who's dishonest. Mm -hmm. That I think was the more likely outcome of this. Not that she's... I really just wish she had gotten some therapy because I think she had some issues like we all do. Well, I mean, I think everybody should get therapy. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I think she, I think it's a mistake to think that the next guy or the right guy is going to cure all your problems. Ladies, be your own. Can we get you to say, ladies, be your own Prince Charming? Because that's another thing that we say. Ladies, be your own Prince Charming. That's absolutely right. From Meg's lips. Thank you. Amazing. Yes. You and you need like a sound drop saying that. <laughs> Let me yeah. pause. I'll pause so you can say, ladies, be your own Prince Charming. That's going at the end of every episode from now Perfect. on. That. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And raise really and good. raise your standards. Yes. Yeah. Because and this is true. Now we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent. I mean, like a lot of the horrific behavior that we see by men is and I'm not talking about violent behavior. 
although sometimes that can be an outgrowth of it, is but you know, a lot of the, like when men treat women badly and then they go back with them, sometimes there's a, a reason for it or a circumstance that can't be denied, like you have kids or he controls the car and the money and the house keys and right. all of that. And I get that. But we're generally not doing those stories on Dateline. Those exist in the real world, mm-hmm. but not necessarily on our broadcast. People who behave badly and who treat you badly shouldn't be getting the whole package of who you are. And if you go back to them after they treat you badly, whether it's cheating on you or lying to you or being a controlling jerk or something, what you're saying is, I'm willing to overlook that. That's okay. And, you know, maybe if you do, get ready for more of that. Mm-hmm. And you're saying you value being with someone who treats you badly more than you are okay with just being alone. Sometimes being alone is fine. And that's the other message of Dateline, which is being with the wrong guy is worse than being with no guy. Correct. Amen. Can we talk briefly about Stephen's first wife? And you talked about it on Talking Dateline, why you chose not to bring it up. Yes. Okay. So back in 2008, Stephen Beale's first wife, Christine, died. And she died under, I'm not sure mysterious is the right word, but she died under certainly unusual circumstances. It's odd. Yeah. It is very odd. There's no question about this. And here's the other thing. I mean, just for starters, most of us never have anybody that we are married to or romantically involved with die in an, a non-traditional, natural way, right? This mm-hmm. guy's had two of them. So that immediately makes you want to sit up and take notice. And of course, right. you get charged in one of them. But this is the first one. This was his first wife, mother of his kids. And The story is that they were moving a piece of furniture, not a gigantic piece of furniture, but a a dresser, like a bureau, which probably weighed about 50 pounds, maybe maybe a little bit more, but not 500 pounds. And they are going down the stairs in their house with this piece of furniture, each of them holding one end. Now, here's the weird thing. She's on the low end and he's on the high end, right? He's up, she's down. Um, That's weird. I would do it the other way if I were moving it. Okay, maybe I'm being patriarchal here. No, 100%. If he's stronger. You want the stronger person on the lower half. Now, the the daughter describes the mom as being this big, strong Norwegian woman. So maybe there wasn't any significant difference in their size or strength ability. So maybe that's not unusual. Okay, Mm -hmm. we don't know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she's on the low end and he's on the upper end. And at some point, he loses his grip. And the thing, the bureau falls down and it hits her and it injures her and she has to go to the hospital. Does not knock her out and it does not kill her, at least not right then. Comes home, She goes to the hospital, she comes back, she's got some injuries, but she's okay. I mean, it looks like she's recovering, but then she has to go back to the hospital and the emergency room like a couple of times because clearly whatever she thought was getting better was not getting better. And so there's some back and forth of the hospital. Now, during this time, during that period, she is ambulatory and she is talking and she is not in some coma or knocked out and she does not say to doctors nurses her family police anybody my husband deliberately let go of that thing and he tried to kill me right right two dropping a 50 pound piece of furniture on somebody is not a good way to kill them as evidenced by this case because it didn't kill her. It didn't even knock her out. So if you're planning on killing somebody, 
that's a pretty inefficient way of doing it. And in fact, what it's an efficient way of is making that person extremely angry at you in a way that they're likely to tell somebody, either authorities or a mandated reporter like a doctor, that you have done something deliberately malicious. That did not happen. That's a good point. Then she subsequently succumbs to her injuries, and it was the cause of death was undetermined, but those injuries were part of it. Okay. One part of it where there was that there were elevated levels of lead in her system. So some people, like the government prosecutors in this case, hinted at the fact that maybe he was giving her lead. But there isn't any case to be made of that. There's no way to charge him with that. That evidence is not there. But they say, oh, he was buying lead. But that's also maybe not what killed her, right? They couldn't determine that it was lead poisoning, right? We don't know. We don't know. And she was cremated. Now, the insurance company did not want to pay Stephen Beale. He did not want, they didn't want to pay the accidental death claim, which I think was a couple hundred thousand dollars. He sued the insurance company. He won Long Beach, which is where it happened. They looked at that as a homicide back when it happened. They did not arrest anybody or file any charges. They looked at it again after Ildico because most of us don't have two romantic partners who die in any kind of at all puzzling way mm-hmm. or unusual Peterson. way. They did not file any charges. The government would have loved to have figured out a way to get that into the case. The judge said, you cannot bring that up at trial. Gotcha. Now, if she had died like in a gas explosion or something, right? Or as a right. result of homemade fireworks going off or something like that. Well, that'd be a different case. But that didn't happen. Exactly whether she died of natural causes or something approaching natural causes or something that was like, we don't really know. I didn't include it because, first of all, it's a different story. It's a whole different story. Yeah. And if you believe it's a murder, it's a whole different murder. But it's a whole different story. Talking about it on Dateline would have, it does two things. First of all, it takes away time I needed for the Ildico story. Two is it says to the audience, here's something you didn't know, wink, wink. This isn't the first person that he's been involved with to die, wink, wink, wink. His first wife died too, which says to the audience, this guy just kills his romantic partners. This is what he does. Kills his wife, kills his girlfriend. Well, you have to believe it suggests something we can't prove and that law enforcement can't prove, right? And it's not like there's a great case for him having killed his first wife. There isn't. There's some things that make you scratch your head, but there is not a terrific case for murder that somehow law enforcement botched or didn't pick up the pieces or didn't do the work on. So to say that for us, for me to say that, kind of suggests something that isn't really true and can't be proven. Two, I really needed the time. Mm-hmm. Three, like in terms of storytelling, I would have to say, okay, let's stop here with the Ildico story. Now we got to go back to 2008, 10 years earlier, and his wife dies, then tell that story. And by the way, there were no charges filed in that. Right. And even the daughter who we interviewed and uh, says there's absolutely nothing to it. And it's nuts to think that anything like that would happen. Okay, daughters frequently don't want to admit mom killed dad or dad killed mom. We've seen that before. But it doesn't mean nothing that she thinks that. No one in her family that we know of thinks there was anything nefarious going on. And as far as we know, that didn't change after Ildico died. 
okay, maybe he's got them all bamboozled. All right, you can argue that. But we didn't have anything to hang that part of the story on. There's really nobody making that charge. So we would have to essentially say, here are the facts in that other case. By the way, they don't legally add up to anybody getting arrested or charged. So that's why I left it out. They had a good marriage, him and his first wife, apparently. We have not heard otherwise. I mean, the daughter seemed fairly sure that it was. She did. I have um, no reason to believe otherwise. I'm married for many years. Yeah. Well, and also, you got to believe that he kills his first wife for the insurance money, but he just kills Ildiko because he's mad at her. Well, that brings me to my question. What is the motive if it's not this passion? Was there any financial motive to killing Ildico? Was there a business no. insurance? Yeah, was there insurance on the on the business? I mean, they were partners in the business, but I don't really know what that means. I think that he was helping her with the business. I don't know that they had a legal partnership, but anyway, she was the business. Right. Ildiko's relationship with those clients was the reason they kept coming back. It wasn't because she had some kind of face cream you can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so there is no business without Ildiko. It was all about the relationship she had with those clients, you know, which was sort of like friend, confidant, BFF, and psychotherapist mm -hmm. to everybody. Kind of like hairdressers are with some people. And I don't see how he profited. He didn't, right. They weren't married. He didn't inherit anything. There was no life insurance that he would benefit from. And if there was any insurance for burning down the building or exploding the building, he could have done it without anyone in there. And, and he wouldn't have benefited from that in any way. He's not named in any life insurance policy because believe me, if there had been a penny of insurance that went to him, we'd have seen that in the trial as part of motive. Now, here's the other thing. You guys know from these stories, this was the only thing that sort of bothered me about the government's case. And I talked to them about this during the interview. These guys, these controlling, angry guys who go into a fury when their woman like leaves them or dates somebody else or tells them they want a divorce. Those guys, they telegraph that punch. Right. They do not remain silent and send you cuddly texts and then kill you. True. What they generally do is say, you will pay for this. Nobody will be with you except me. I will not permit this. You will not disrespect me. I don't know who you think you are. You are the B word, the C word. You can go to hell. You will never, ever see a dime of my money. I mean, we've seen all of these things. Or at least cryptically, cryptically on Facebook posting angry stuff, not specific about the person, just right. angry. We'd see something right. like that. Right. Yeah. And there's just no Stephen Beal venom that made it into court anyway. And the prosecutors explained that way by saying he's not that kind of guy. He's not a furious guy. He just, he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. And he just kind of went subterranean with this diabolical plot to kill Ildiko with the bomb. Well, okay. I mean, their case kind of boiled down to he was dating her. He wasn't anymore. He clearly missed her. He clearly resented the fact that she was seeing other men without telling him about it and that she was kind of wavering in their relationship but didn't say why. And he had the right kind of chemicals in his house. He bought the bomb. He bought the battery, which was just like the battery in the bomb. He bought the box, which was just like the box right. that the bomb was in. And no one in her orbit, no one else in her orbit would have known how to make that device. And that, all of that is one by one. Those things are all true. I don't know of anybody else who would have known how to do that. But I did kind of think the thing that was missing was him saying, you know, you won't get away with this. You will never be with anybody. I mean, because we've seen these guys in action, sadly, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. 
I wonder if there's a different pathology, though, to bombers, people who kill in different ways. Like I wanted a criminal profiler on to say people, men who make bombs actually are less explosive, sorry, with their words. And they, you know. Entirely possible. I mean, I'm not saying that I believe or don't believe the government's case. I'm just saying that that was the thing that I thought was Mm-hmm. I sort of expected to see that I didn't see. No, you're right. I mean, if you're going to do that, right, if you're going to kill somebody with a bomb, you are not going to be there to wrap your hands around their throat. You're not going to be there when they take their last breath. You're doing this by remote control. You're putting this sort of distance. significant distance, both emotionally and literally, between you and the victim. And then sort of they're the instrument of their own destruction because they took the lid off the box. They killed themselves. I didn't do it. I just put the bomb in the box. That's very interesting. Those yeah. are things people are able to tell themselves. So yeah, maybe it's a different kind of guy here. That's I think that also it is clear sort of why the mistrial happened in trial number one, because of what you just talked about with the government's case was missing this certain part of things where the motive isn't clear. But then it's also he got into a relationship with Valerie. And you're telling me that four weeks before he was planning on doing this bombing, does he get into the relationship with Valerie as a cover for what he's about to do? That's one of the things the government talked about was the relationship with Valerie was sort of all part of his alibi, which does fit with the idea of him being this like careful, you know, sort of subterranean planner. And then stayed with her. The argument was, I wasn't furious at Ildico. In fact, I'd already moved on to somebody else, and here she is, and she's still with me, and now we're engaged. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I buy that. But that was part of what the government believed. I don't know if they actually made that argument in court, but that was okay. That was part of what they thought. Poor Valerie, if that's true. Now, if the government had said that before I interviewed Valerie, then we would have gone back and forth with that a little bit. But we'd already interviewed Valerie when I first heard that the government- You broke her heart enough. She doesn't need to hear that. That's kind of what I'm thinking. But uh, yeah, (laughs) I I must say, I I don't think he faked that whole relationship just as an alibi. It's not that I don't think that, but that's a reach, let's just say. That would be hard for, it would be hard for anybody to do. I don't know him at all, but that would be hard for anyone to do. Well, we've seen his acting skills and I don't know if he has- Before we let you go, you did text us that you had a couple new bingo card ideas. I do. Now, I'm not 100%. I was thinking about this, not for this episode. I was thinking about this as I was watching the Dateline episode for this coming Friday with Andrea, because there are two things in there that I realized should be on the bingo card. One of them is when the person who is at least to some extent the suspect finds something that drives the investigation forward. So in the story that's going to air this week, there's a guy whose wife disappears, and he's very frantic. I mean, he sounds exactly right on the 911 call. And he's, you know, constantly saying to police, can you, like, have you looked here? Have you looked here? Maybe she went to her friend's house. Can you check there? And then they go to where the phone last pinged and they look around out there, but they don't see her. They don't see the car. They don't see anything out in that area. It's kind of a wooded area outside of town. And he goes out there and he finds the phone and no. he's like, he calls and he calls them. He calls 911 and he goes, you know, this is Josh Mankiewicz is whatever his name is. And I found the phone. So that like, wow. like potential suspect discovers key piece of evidence. I yes. feel like that should be. That should be on the item, right? That should be on the, on the bingo card. And the other one 
And I, I guess this might be on there, but it's not on the one that I have at home here, but I don't have them all is the people we're interviewing. Talk about Dateline. We have yes, them. it's someone on Dateline references Dateline. Yes, it's right. on the okay, card. Okay, that is on there. Yes, okay. we love when that happens. Because in my story just now, yeah. uh, the one we're talking Holly. about, in Death yeah. at the Spa, we're talking to Holly. Obviously, I didn't, we didn't tell her to say that. We don't tell anybody to say anything. I say to her, so you think this is over? She goes, oh, no, because on Dateline, you know, there's yep. always an end. I'm like, I remember thinking, oh, well, that's getting on TV. Yes. And in this episode that Andrea does, a couple of people like blurt out something about Dateline. Oh, I love it. And in Dennis's story a couple of weeks ago about the homicidal dentists in Florida, the guy who's being recorded, he's like, yeah, it's like Dateline. Everybody tries Mm -hmm. to figure out who the bad guy is and they think it's me. Mm -hmm. I love it. So that is on the card. Okay. Good. Yes. But potential suspect discovers something that drives the investigation forward. That's a thing. I'm adding it for sure. I'm just trying to help the police. That's how (laughs) involved I am in this investigation. Because, you know, there's this middle ground between the husband who will not help on the search, like the the one in Ventura a couple of years ago with Hawaiian Mike. Yes. Um, (laughs) Right. He wouldn't go on on the search. Why is Sherry Daly's missing? He won't go try and find her. Mm -mm. There's some distance in between. I won't join in the search. To, I'm finding. Not only am I doing the search, I found <laughs> something you couldn't find. Yeah, there has to be a middle ground that's less suspicious. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we could really teach a course in what to do if you're a suspect, how to look less suspicious. And along those lines, this is something I tweeted in the middle of the broadcast last week. When Stephen Beale walks into the Elisa Viejo Sheriff's Station. Gotta be kidding me. And starts just like blurting out, you know, all these things. He tells a joke. He pulls a coin from behind the investigator's ear. He talks about a screenplay's writing. He talks about how this whole thing would make a stand-up comedy routine and people love to be entertained. He wasn't even asked to come in. He comes in and he starts just volunteering information. Now, I I think investigators thought that he was trying to figure out whether he was a suspect. Mm -hmm. Uh And just in case he wasn't, he says, hey, by the way, you know, I'm probably going to be a suspect in this because I have those chemicals or I have chemicals that could be used in a bomb in my home. And literally they're like, oh, wait, I'm (laughs) still writing down the last incriminating thing you say (laughs) before you say the next incriminating thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're innocent, don't do that. If you're guilty, don't do that. Don't do that. If you really enjoy police being all up in your grill, do it. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kimberly and I were screaming. We could teach a course. I really do think we could teach a course. That was unbelievable. Everyone should listen to Talking Dateline because of the gems like we just learned that someone beat me to it and named their pet after you. There's a mink cat. There's a mink cat. My friend Jay Pebbles 3. Yes. But maybe I'll do it with a dog. And I I think you're more of a dog person. You've said. I would rather have a dog than a dog. Okay. Yes. Katie is not happy right now. I think it probably would depend on the cat. Let's just say that. (laughs) Right, right. And like one of the ones that I'm not allergic to. Oh, wait, there aren't any. Oh, no, like a big one. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it's a medical condition. It's not a personality thing. It's also a personality thing. (laughs) Josh. I'm sick. Why are you doing this? Katie's sick. You're going to do this to her while she's sick. I know, and I'm torturing her when she's sick. Do you have like 11 cats? I have a few. All right. When I come over to your house, yeah, which we're planning for, yeah. I'm going to show year. you the shiniest one. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will change your yeah. mind about cats. Right. But you might have to wear a protective hazmat suit. 
I was going to say, and then when I walk out of there, my face will be, it'll look like I went a couple of rounds with Mike Tyson, but I'll do that for you. We'll meet on the porch. <laughs> Thank you so much. So we will see you in Nashville at CrimeCon. But when is that? It's in May? May, end yes. of May. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to go, yes. Amazing, because you are the mayor. Yes. Well, no, I not in, not in Nashville. I have an idea that's come from Oliver. Yes. He wanted me to specifically ask you if you own a cowboy hat. I do not. Or have access to one. He was wondering if we could make buttons this year that make you the sheriff of CrimeCon. Yes. So I need your hat size and I'll mail you a cowboy hat. And I need a picture. Because mm. I think it's appropriate for Nashville. Yeah. I love it. That's right. I no, love good it. Good job, Oliver. That's right. I'm resigning. I'm resigning as mayor and I'm running for sheriff. <laughs> and you're picking up the badge. You're picking up the star. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Any, guys. Thank anything you so much for you this. need to pitch, podcasts or episodes coming up? No, I mean, there's a talking dateline every week that comes out Wednesdays about the previous week's episode. I'm working on two other stories right now, but neither one of them is imminent. Okay. They'll be on in a few weeks. But we're, yeah, we're all super busy. Keith says hello. We hello. love Keith. Katie, and feel uh, better. come, come to Aliso Viejo anytime. There's a lot, I know you said nothing happens here, but nothing really happens here. Nothing. Yeah, um, they're trying to build a dog park in the retirement community, and there's two warring factions, yeah. one for and one against. That's what's happening here. Well, that's that's not nothing. <laughs> Could be another dateline. Well, I hope it's perpetually calm there. Yes. Your parents. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so we much. Appreciate Thank you, you so Thanks, much, guys. Always a pleasure. Bye, Mink. Thank you. Bye, everybody. And ladies, be your own Prince Charming. <laughs>